I'm going to pick up where I left off a couple of weeks ago, and we're examining the life of a notable woman uh, who is not only listed here in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, but there's an entire uh, chapter, uh, so to speak, devoted uh, to her stories. Uh, But let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll begin reading here at verse number 32. We'll look at verses 32 through 35, the honorable mention section of the Faith Hall of Fame. It says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, a guy whose army went from 30,000 to 300 in a matter of a few hours. I don't know about you, but I've always been told there's strength in numbers. And here's a guy who's walking with God, and God says, you don't need 30,000. All you need is 300. That's Gideon's story. And a lot of times we think we can do more if we have more, but sometimes God says, with my hand upon your life, I will actually do more with less. That's Gideon's story. Uh, uh, The the, the text continues. Uh, uh, Barak who was a commander of the Israelite army, Samson, who did great exploits as a judge and a man of strength, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, Daniel, quenched the flames of fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Verse 35 is where I want to land this morning because we're going to talk about a notable woman whose life is captured in 2 Kings chapter number 4. And I believe that we're going to extract principles from her story that we can apply to our lives today. The scripture says women received their loved ones back again from Death. And for that purpose, I've chosen the title of today's message, which is a continuation of where we left off. Just because it's dead doesn't mean it's over. Just because it's dead doesn't mean it's over. I want to speak to the dreamers in the house, uh, those of us or those of you who have abandoned things that God has entrusted to you. Maybe it has taken too long. Maybe it's not happening the way you imagined. Maybe you have given up simply because, well, maybe this was my idea and not God's. Uh, Today, God wants to breathe new life into your dreams and the things that you have held quietly in your heart. I believe we'll find those principles right here in this woman's story. Uh, So turn with me to what I like to refer to as the deleted scenes in 2 Kings chapter 4, because this is where we find this lady's story. Uh, I think we made it through a few verses, so it's almost like we're going to pick up mid-sentence with the woman's story. And uh, there are a few things we said uh, while you're turning there, is that number one, you ought to position yourself for your miracle. Somebody say amen. He ought to position himself for your miracle. Uh, in fact, one, one, one uh, 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 wise man said it this way, that the atmosphere of expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. Amen? So we ought to live our lives with great expectation and anticipation. And that's what this woman did. She lived with expectation and positioned herself for her miracle. That's principle number one. 
The second principle we said we ought to hold on to is the fact that whatever we initiate, God reciprocates. We said that this lady's generosity, when she perceived that Elisha was a man of God, activated the generosity of God as well. And you and I can never, will never be able to outgive God. In fact, whenever God asks for a seed, he already has a harvest in mind. Now notice this lady's random act of kindness wasn't done because she was looking for something in return. She did it simply because this was her nature and her character. She said, I perceive that this man is a man of God. Let's build him an extra wing on our house. That's generosity. Why did she do it? She did it simply because she perceived that this man was a man of God. That's the way we ought to live our lives. Unfortunately, most of our acts of generosity, we do it looking for reciprocity. Isn't that what we do? We give somebody a ride and we say, man, you owe me one. And most of our acts of generosity are acts that create obligation and debt. Because if I do something for someone expecting something in return, what I've done, consciously or unconsciously, is I have created a debt. I'm going to do this, but you owe me. Which is so unlike the nature and the character of God. Let me tell you why. Jesus said it this way. He says, you will reap what you sow. Most of us have misunderstood that to infer you will always reap where you've sown. You can pour into a person year after year, month after month, week after week, and receive nothing in return. In fact, Jesus never said that we ought to give expecting something in return from where we sowed. But he did promise that you and I will always reap what we've sown. Kindness for kindness, love for love, mercy for mercy. And so this lady, I love the way the scripture puts it, said, and it happened. It just happened. It just happened because most of God's miracles happen unscripted. They happen not on our timetable, but on God's timetable. And that's why you and I just have to live with expectation and great anticipation. Because at any moment, if we position ourselves, the miracle can happen. So this lady's just going about a business and just being nice to people. Just being nice. And in the midst of that, God says, I will reciprocate your kindness and your generosity. And I'm going to give you something that money can't buy. Mm. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you needed something that your resources couldn't supply? Your hookups and connections couldn't supply? Your family name couldn't supply? And the reason I say this is because the scripture says that this woman was a notable woman. And I love that. And I think I spent some time two weeks ago talking about that because this woman had an identity all her own, which is unusual, especially in Old Testament narrative. Because women, if they had a reputation, it was tied to their husbands. It would be Patricia, the wife of Jesse, who was a notable man. 
this is unusual in the text, that this woman is the central character in this story, and she has a very unique identity, all her own. And the scripture says she was a notable woman. Yet she needed something that her resources and her affluence couldn't supply. I'm talking to people this morning who find themselves in a place that their education, their background, their family, their reputation, and connections, a need, have a need that none of those things can meet. And if you find yourself in that place this morning, guess what? You are a candidate for a miracle. In fact, you are a candidate for a divine interruption. Ah, Y'all quiet on me in this Presbyterian church. Very quiet on me. If you find yourself in a place where you need God to show up for you, because you can't do it for yourself, you are a prime candidate for a divine disruption. Because the miracles of God are often disruptive in nature. Hmm? Many times divine interventions are disguised as human interruptions and inconveniences. But God is all in it. The very thing you might be fighting and complaining against could be the very hand and act of God. And we'll discover that principle even further in the text. Y'all ready for this? So we're going to pick up the story mid-sentence. So so this is where we are in the story. Elisha's been coming uh, into this town. And the scripture says the lady perceived he was a man of God. Say, I got to do something for him. And so they build this wing on the house. Isn't that cool, man? Somebody just coming in and out of town, preacher. Every now and then, stop over for some fried chicken, some mac and cheese. And then the lady said, look, I'm going to build a wing on my house. And then he's in the house, and this woman has been generous and kind, and he said, man, this, this woman, man, has just really done so much for us. What can we do for her? Because whatever we initiate, God reciprocates, right? We got that principle, right? We, we, we initiate it, God reciprocates it. And usually when God reciprocates, man, it's so much bigger, so much grander than what we initiated because you can never outgive God. In fact, the scripture says, he who, lends to, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord and he will surely repay. In fact, the kids from Giants of Hope, they shot us a video. We didn't have time to run it, but you should see their gratitude. A phenomenal video. We'll show it next week. He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will surely repay. Come on, somebody. We're talking about the reciprocity that comes from the divine. Okay. Let me, let me, okay, we're going to move along. Uh, And so, and so this, this uh, verse 2, uh, verse 11 through 16 is where we're going to pick up here in our conversation. Uh, it says, and it happened one day that he came there and he turned in to the upper room and he lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to Gehazi, say now to her. I just find that interesting that he wasn't even talking to the woman. He was talking to Gehazi and Gehazi was telling her, even though they were in the same space. I just find that fascinating. 
Uh, verse 13, and he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak to the, uh, on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. She said, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Verse 14, so, so he said, uh, what then is, is, is to be done for her? And, and Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. There are a lot of things I could say about that exchange. And I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to figure out how I'm going to even say this. Thank you for this towel, Dexter. I appreciate it. Um, did I say this a couple of weeks ago? Be a noticer. It is Gehazi who notices a need in the woman's life that she doesn't even mention. And there are people all around us every single day that have needs. Come on, y'all listen to this now. That have needs, they don't even realize they have. Have you ever gone nose blind to your own car? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Open the door, get somebody a ride, be like, man, what's that smell? <laughs> what smell? Hmm? I've jumped in cars before that were just trashed, man. And that was their normal. I mean, like you jump in the car, oh man, let me move this fast food bag, throw it back there. Let me move this coffee cup, throw it back there. It's like, oh man, sit right here. Because that has become their normal. It is possible for you and I to go nose blind to life and not even recognize the deep needs we have personally. And one of the reasons you and I can go nose blind in life is because we've convinced ourselves that because it's always been this way, it will always be this way. So why even bother? That's where this lady is. Because when the man of God says, what can I do for you? She says, absolutely nothing. But she has a need that everybody around her recognizes. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying. She has a blind spot in her life. But the reason she has this blind spot is because this is a painful place in her life. And she just doesn't want to go there again only to be disappointed one more time. I'm talking to somebody this morning. It's easier for me to bury it. It's easier for me to ignore it. It's easier for me to pretend it doesn't exist. It's easier for me to not to ask for it than to ask only to be disappointed again. But just because it's dead doesn't mean it's over. I'm talking to people who are afraid to ask God one more time. Because you asked him over and over 
and over and nothing. So it's easier now for me to resign myself to my circumstances and say this marriage is just going to be a lousy marriage and that's what I'm going to put up with. But man of God, don't come tell me that my marriage can be better than it is because it's been this way for a long time. Don't tell me all of a sudden people are going to love me because my life has been this way. And if you go messing with this tender spot, it's going to be a problem, Elisha. And that's where most of us live. We lead and live lives of quiet desperation where there is a need that God can meet. Yet we've gone nose blind. Notice the woman's response. What verse are we in? Uh, 15? Uh, So he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Verse 16. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. He wasn't even asking for a son. But he said, this time next year, that thing you've always wanted, That thing you've always desired, that thing you were too afraid to ask for, you will embrace. Come on now, this is emotional talk now. He messing with her emotions. He said that empty void place that you've carried for so long is about to get filled. And you will embrace a son, your own son, out of your own body. Because God will do it. Because the miracles of God are disruptive in nature. They come to disrupt our ordinary and even the things we have resigned ourselves to. That's what the man of God said. This time next year, you will hold your own baby, flesh and blood running through his veins. Notice her response. Verse 16. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah, verse 16. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace the son. Notice her response. No, my Lord. Man of God. Don't lie to me. Mm -hmm. Don't mess with me. Don't go there. Now, the problem I have with her response is the fact that the extra wing on her house that she built. She built because she perceived that this man was a man of God. Yet the man of God is telling her prophetically what she's about to experience and she said, ain't no way it gonna happen. Well, hold on. You just built a whole wing on your house because this guy was a man of God. Now he says this miracle's about to happen and you're tripping. Because sometimes in life, there are certain places in our lives that are too painful even for God to touch. Mm, There are certain wounds and certain disappointments and certain kinds of discouragement that we don't even want God to touch. Don't mess with me, God. Don't play with me. Have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night? Come on, somebody. And you wanted that bowl of cereal. And you poured out that bowl of cereal. 
only to go to the refrigerator and realize that your children drank the whole bottle or carton of milk and left this much in there. And the whole time you thought you had milk for your cereal, only to realize you were staring at an empty carton in the refrigerator. That's what this woman's talking about. Say, God, don't mess with me. Don't promise me a bowl of cereal and ain't no milk to go with it. <laughs> and that's where most of us live. That's where most of us live. The first principle is position yourself for your miracle. The second principle is know that God always reciprocates what we initiate. So make sure you initiate good. The third principle from this woman's story is that at some point, at some point, this is inevitable and uh, inescapable. At some point in your life, you will have to face your fears and your disappointments. One day, someday, you will have to face, confront the thing you are most afraid of and the thing that has disappointed you the most. Because you can only conquer what you confront and you can only confront what you identify and you can only identify what you're willing to face. This is a moment of confrontation for this woman. Should I trust God one more time? After I've prayed and I've begged and I've cried and all I got was a bowl of cereal with no milk. Sometimes it's better not to want cereal than to desire cereal with no milk. I'm talking to somebody this morning. I'm talking to somebody this morning. And so for this lady, the dream of having a child was now a distant memory. Don't you just hate it when you thought you forgot about something and somebody bring it back up? <laughs> like, you know how y'all be throwing your hands up like... Yeah, that's what, that's what Elisha's doing. Because that's the kind of God we serve. Hmm? Uh, God is concerned about reaching us and touching us in the place where we hurt the most. Mm. There's so much I could say about that. Mm, in fact, let me say this. Uh, oh, in Jeremiah. Jeremiah, y'all ready for this one? Jeremiah chapter 15. Can we put this on the screen? I'm calling the audible. Jeremiah chapter 15. Jeremiah chapter 15, I think it's verse 18. <laughs> ah, this may not be something you're willing to verbalize, but I know that there have been moments and seasons in your life when you felt this way, when you've imagined these things in your head. 
Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16. I'll read 16 through 18. Jeremiah chapter 15, verses 16 through 18. And Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he was always uh, wrestling and grappling with his emotions in how he experienced God. And in verse 16, he says, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. He said, God, there was a time I walked with you, man, and man, I ate your word, and your word brought comfort and encouragement to me. I ate it all day long, and it was a rejoicing in my heart. And he says, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the assembly of the mockers, nor did I rejoice. I did all the right things. I read your word. I was obedient to you. He said, but then I sat alone because of your hand. For you have filled me with indignation. He says, why is my pain perpetual? And why my wound incurable. I'm talking about God touching you in the place where you hurt the most. Unwilling to go there. Oh, let me put it this way. That place that you protect because it's tender to the touch. You don't even want God to mess with it. That's what this woman's dealing with. And so he talks about his perpetual pain and he talks about an incurable wound which refuses to be healed. How many of you realize, City Church, that that when we self-medicate, we delay God's healing process? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure this woman self-medicated some kind of way to make the pain of this tender spot go away. I don't know what she did. Sometimes we can self-medicate with kindness. Sometimes we can self-medicate with generosity. Sometimes we can self-medicate by helping everybody else's children. Because let me tell you what self-medication will do. Self-medication is never about resolution. It's only about relief. If I self-medicate, it relieves the pain, but it's only temporary. And then when the relief wears off from whatever I use to self-medicate. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's popularity. Maybe it's fame. When that relief wears off, guess what happens? I got to do it all again. Notice the cycle. Relief is temporary, so it produces repetition. I got to do it again. Because the pain is unbearable, the wound is incurable, so I need some more relief. And we can relieve ourselves in so many different ways. Not just substance abuse, but so many different ways that we can self-medicate. So many different ways. I wish I could go down the list. So many different ways. And maybe the way she self-medicated, and you're a therapist. Maybe she just did it by tuning it out, pretending it didn't even exist. So when Elisha brings it up, said, don't mess with me, man of God. You're breaking my cycle because if I pretend long enough that this pain doesn't exist, then I can have relief. And whenever I have relief and the relief runs out, then there's repetition. But guess what? There's no resolution. The pain is still there. And that's where God wants to heal us. So Jeremiah said, look, this thing is incurable. And notice what he says. Will you surely be to me? like an unreliable stream 
and as waters that fail. You know what Elisha, what, what Jeremiah was saying? He said, are you going to be like that milk carton that looks like it's full, but it's really empty? God, are you going to be that kind of God to me? An unreliable stream and as waters that fail. Mm. So the woman cries out and said, no, my Lord, don't deceive me. In the NLT, the New Living Translation said, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. That's what she really said. But just because it's dead doesn't mean it's over. How do I deal with it? How do I deal with it? This is where I'm going to close. First Kings, back to First Kings chapter 4, and we're going to close this thing out. I know there are several of us, and I say us because I'm believing God for some miracles. I'm believing God to show up strong, uh, not just for me, but for City Church. And sometimes you find yourself in the place where this Shunammite woman was. God, don't mess with me. Don't mess with me because we've been going around this circle for a minute. It's better for me not to believe it. It's better for me not to expect it. It's better for me not to anticipate it than to go there only to be disappointed. I'm talking to somebody this morning. So the woman has the child a year later because God's word never returns to him void. It never returns to him empty. If God said it, you can take it to the bank. So sure enough, in spite of her discouragement and disappointment, she has this beautiful child. Now, time passes, and the scripture says that the child, he's old enough to be out in the field with his dad. So there's some significant amount of time. We don't know how much, but he's old enough to be out in the field with his father. I'm going to pick up the conversation here in verse number 18 of 2 Kings chapter 4, and I'm going to go quickly and... Uh, and uh, uh, as I close out the message, verse 18, and the scripture says, and the child grew. Now it happened that one day he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So the father said to a servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, uh, he sat her on her knees till noon. And then the child died. Isn't that so? That quick. Your miracle, gone. I told you I just came from Mississippi. I've done a lot of funerals. And every time I do a funeral, it puts a lot of things in perspective. That the people that we're closest to, that we're mad at, don't want to talk to, the grudges we hold, the animosity we carry toward each other, the things we fuss about, the kind words we withhold. It just dawned on me. All of this could be gone in a moment. 
This child is in the field with his daddy. Head start hurting, gone. While we go through life tripping, holding grudges, not speaking of this one, not speaking of that one. And usually it's the people closest to us that we do it to. And all of a sudden, all we're left with is regret. Life is too short for that foolishness. Too short for it. Too short for it. Life is too short for that. Mike was visiting his mother because his mother's brother had just passed away, and who else? And a cousin. So Mike's up there to offer comfort and consolation to his mother. And he's lying on the floor watching the basketball game and uncomfortable. And he stands up to go to the couch and falls over dead. Just like that. And we have the audacity, though, to carry grudges and not speak to this one and not speak to that one and mistreat our spouses and do this and do that. When just that quickly, it could be snatched away from us. And so, so, so here's this child, and, and he goes to his mama. His daddy says, probably doesn't think it's a big deal. Hey, his head's hurting. Take him, take him to his mama. And so they bring him to his mama, put him on her lap, and gone. Child is gone. And the scripture says in verse 21, and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. And then she called her husband and said, please send me one of the young men, one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. (sighs) I'm looking at my time. So much I could say about that. But what I do know is that often when life interrupts us, we shake our fist at God. And we blame him for life's interruptions. Yet this woman had the presence of mind that in her loss, she would run to God, not from God. Her theology of God had so evolved that she didn't say, God, I told you not to mess with me. Now you gave me this son and you took him away this quickly. Her understanding of the nature of God had changed so drastically that she realized the same God that gave me this son is going to give him back to me. I don't care what you lost. The same God who gave it to you is a God of restoration. Just because it's dead doesn't mean it's over. Listen to me, listen to me, City Church. Learn to bring your disappointments to God. And I'm telling you what this lady did. So she brings her disappointments to the man of God. Number two, move with urgency and don't wait for perfect conditions. Move with urgency, don't wait for perfect conditions. Notice what her husband said. Notice what her her husband said in, in verse 23. Her husband says, Uh, Why are you going today? 
It's not the new moon. It's not the Sabbath. Why are you do? Why are you in such a hurry? There are certain things in life that you and I cannot delay. So bring your disappointments to God and move with urgency and move with haste because a lot of people are going to tell you, you're trying to do this at the wrong time, trying to do this out of season. Ain't nobody going to listen to you. Why you keep dreaming? Why you keep persisting? And this woman, notice her response, it is well. There's a whole lot of people who won't understand why you're doing what you're doing. But sometimes the life of faith, uh, there there are no traffic jams on the life of faith freeway. Not a whole lot of people make it that far. And sometimes walking by faith is a lonely place. Notice her husband didn't come with her. She took her baby to Jesus. Notice her words, it is well. Number one, bring your disappointments to God. Number two, move with urgency. Don't wait for perfect conditions. Don't wait till everything lines up to take your first step of faith. Number three, guard your words. Notice she's holding her dead baby and she says, it is well. She's holding her dead miracle and she says, it is well. Because faith always calls those things that are not as though they So what are you saying about your miracle? Verse 23. Ah, Be selective with your audience. They don't have to know everything about what you're dreaming, what you're praying about, because not everybody can handle the dream in your heart. I'm just going fast. The fifth thing she did She trusted that God would do it again. If you read uh, the final verses of this passage, two times they tried to revive the boy. Nothing happened. The miracle occurred on the third try. And sometimes in life, in this walk of faith, when you're holding something that was once alive and it seems like it's dying on its last leg, sometimes you've got to believe that the same God that did it then will certainly Do it again. And the scripture says, the scripture says, as I close, the scripture says, uh, verse 34, this is Elisha. He comes back to the house because the first two attempts to raise the boy, to revive the boy didn't work. And on verse 34, he went up and he lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. Uh, So he returned and walked back and forth in the house uh, and again went up and stretched himself out on him again. Then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. There's something about faith that requires tenacity and persistence. Don't give up the first time. And the verse continues in 36, and he called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her, and when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. And verse 37 says, so she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son And she went out because God had given her a miracle of resurrection. The Bible says by faith, Hebrews chapter 11, that women receive their dead sons back to life. This morning, I believe that God wants to revive and to resurrect some things 
in our own lives as well. So I'll ask the team to come, and I want to pray for you as we close. I want to pray for that one grappling with and dealing with disappointment. Disappointment, discouragement, dealing with delays. I'm in that number, so I'm praying for me this morning. Pastor Wendy, would you come and hold my hand? We're going to touch and agree for our church. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for you. If you say, this may not be for everybody, but if you find yourself in that place where the Shunammite woman found her place, if you've been nursing a wound too tender to touch, there's a place in your heart where you won't even allow God to go because it's too painful. And you say, God, I don't want you to be an unreliable stream or a disappointing brook. I don't want to pour out this bowl of cereal in faith only to find that trusting you means there's an empty carton of milk. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you because I know I have been there. But God's word to you this morning is just because it's dead doesn't mean it's over. So this morning, we will do what the Shunammite woman did. She brought her disappointments to God. So Father, this morning, we come just as we are.